This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 101 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and today my guest is Miles Teller, the 29-year-old actor who is one of Hollywood's few bona fide leading men under the age of 30. He burst onto the scene in the 2010 film Rabbit Hole, opposite Nicole Kidman, who wound up with a Best Actress Oscar nomination. Teller, for his part, wound up with a major career. Over the years since, he's done standout work in a number of films, including 2013's The Spectacular Now, for which he and Shailene Woodley were awarded a special jury prize by the Sundance Film Festival. They re-teamed a year later in Divergent, the first film that brought him an international audience. That same year, he also starred in the indie Whiplash, which went on to win the Grand Jury and Audience Prizes at Sundance and to receive an Oscar nomination for Best Picture. His co-star, J.K. Simmons, won the Best Supporting Actor Prize, for which he also gives Teller much credit. This year, Teller's starring in Bleed for This, a movie that offers him his first grown-up role and his first opportunity to play a real person, namely boxer Vinny Pazienza, who in the 1980s was a rising star and then suffered a horrific car accident. Over the course of our conversation, Teller and I discuss all of this and the funny way that he stumbled into acting in the first place back in high school. We talk about how a car accident while he was in college almost claimed his life and changed his perspective on his career, how he landed his first big screen opportunity in Rabbit Hole, what he's taken away from the films that followed, including the Fantastic Four, and as Bleed for This begins to roll out and bring him career best notices, what his dreams and ambitions are for the future. So without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Miles, thank you very much for doing this. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. We always begin by asking where you were born and raised. But before we do that, we're in Savannah, and I think you have a connection to this place. And I know that your grandmother does because I see her here every year at the film festival. So yes. can you? What's uh, what's the Savannah connection for the tellers? Uh, yeah, I mean, at this point, I say like I'm my my grandmother's plus one yeah. uh, to this event. <laughs> I brought her here six years ago. I got the Discovery mm-hmm. Award after I had you know done Rabbit Hole, and that was great. That was like the first I don't know the first award I I gotten in, you know in this business, mm-hmm. and the fact that Savannah wanted to give me that and and make a nice kind of presentation out of it was special and i grew up you know the second part of my life you know middle school and high school in in florida Mm -hmm. and which is just a couple hours from savannah yeah so my sister she just drove up with her nephew and my grandparents drove up and my parents are here and yeah it's just nice there's a real kind of personal familial you know quality to this festival that i don't have with 
you know, with with any other festival, yeah. and it is unique. And you're being honored again. And I'm being honored again. And I tell them, I'm like, guys, I, I you can just send me an invitation. Yeah. You don't need to give me an award every time. <laughs> right. But I'll I'll take it and right. I'll wear that badge proudly. Right. So you mentioned, as far as the born and raised question, that I, you were raised throughout. Florida, but born elsewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was born in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. moved to Georgia for a couple of years. Then I moved to Delaware Then I moved to South Jersey and then I moved to Florida. What were the moves brought about by? My dad was a felon and <laughs> no, he, my dad worked in nuclear right. and he looked power plants just kind of, if something goes wrong, they shut it down quick and yeah. you got to find another job. Right. And Look, I, you know, I think pretty much everywhere my dad moved, like he thought that would be the final one. Right, right. But he's providing for three kids. And when we were in New Jersey, he was driving an hour and a half to 75 miles to work each way. And just so that we could live by the beach. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I was fortunate. I was at a young enough age to where it wasn't, you know, it wasn't too bad. Once I got to Florida, at least I was there for middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. But I did have a girlfriend when I was 11 when I had to move from Jersey to Florida and man, I wish I could go back and read the stuff I was telling her. Like <laughs> we're going to, it's going to work. <laughs> this is all time. Yeah. Pal. You know, it's yeah. just, it's just a thousand miles between us. Our love is strong. <laughs> like I, we had just seen right. Titanic a right. couple, you know, months earlier. Um, so your, her heart will go on. Yeah. yeah. It was just like, dude. Yeah. You see Titanic in a right. movie theater at age 11, three hours of just, romance mm-hmm. and drama mm-hmm. it was a special movie now where does the name miles come from my mom had a cousin named miles and i'm pretty sure that's where that's where it came from i mean my dad wanted to name me cash but he thought cash teller was you know a little <laughs> little much but right. guaranteed if i have a son his name's cash cash for I love sure it. so we have to thank for you being here a hot blonde high school teacher from what I've read. Yeah, you know, that, that story's kind of gotten a, a, <laughs> a bit, you know, embellished, and, and, uh, but, yeah, give us but a, honestly not that much. Like, yep. so I was, when I was in second grade, the high school was doing Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and they needed some little kids to walk around with a candle during close every door and put on a shirt. So I did that. And my oldest sister, Erin, was actually like the performer in the family. She's eight and a half years older than me. And, I remember going to her plays as a little kid and going and listening to her sing. I mean, she really was and still is just a like a phenomenal singer and had a, a demo contract with, with Sony in Nashville and was, you know, starting to kind of make the path towards being a, a professional country singer and just kind of dealt with the business and it just kind of put a stress on this thing that she loved and the business kind of got too much for it and she didn't she didn't like that and so she stopped but uh, yeah I played sports and music and then I'm a sophomore in high school and my buddy's a senior and he's gives me a ride home from baseball you know and uh, it's just my buddy's like yeah you know I'm gonna I'm gonna audition for this play and so I might not be able to give you a ride home I was like all right well yeah I'll audition and he got the lead and I got the co-lead and it was actually Footloose and I played the part of Willard which I ended up playing but it is true. There was a my drama teacher's name was Beth Beatty, and she was twenty, I think seven right. at the time. And before she got there, the drama program really was kind of like a place for people to kind of hide hide out a little bit. It was just very kind of you know counterculture and a bit you know gothic and you know and and, and that's fine. And I'm friends with with people like that. And but it just didn't. I don't know. It just it just didn't seem like. Like the plays and stuff they were doing, they they just didn't seem to have like an emphasis on, on entertaining and putting on like quality productions. The mm-hmm. productions weren't that great. And Beth came in, and she just, like her husband was building the sets for us, and she really just had a strong passion for putting on quality productions. And yeah, I did my first. I did Footloose, and I got a laugh, and and I remember getting my first laugh and thinking. Yeah, how come I haven't been like doing that? I was a class clown. I guess that's where I kind of scratched that itch. I felt right. like felt like I had some good jokes and right. I could get laughs in class, right. but it was never it was never like really focused, and it actually just used to get me in trouble. So this was a way that I could <laughs> channel it. Yeah, yeah, make people laugh and not 
you know, get sent to detention. So you must have gotten good feedback pretty early on because I, I then read about what's the Florida State Thespian Program. Florida State Thespian Program was absolutely fundamental for me in mm-hmm. terms of focusing this passion that I had and really fostering it. So it runs basically like the same way sports do. You have a district competition and then you compete in different categories, uh, monologue, duet acting, ensemble acting, solo musical, large group musical, and you have judges. So I did a, a monologue that you do two contrasting monologues in five minutes, which is great because that's also what you're going to have to do when you audition for colleges. Mm-hmm. So you get really good with monologues. Mm-hmm. And at districts, I think there was 15 schools. So all the schools are competing and my monologue got picked as the best monologue. So wow. then at closing night ceremonies, you compete. The best monologue competes against the best duet acting and all these different things. And then from there, the district picks one of those events to represent that district at the state level. So my monologue got picked again. So now I'm at opening ceremonies of the state festival and you're on a professional stage and you're doing a monologue in front of 2,500 people and they've got a camera there and your performance is on this screen in the background. And at the state festival, you can also audition for colleges. And that's where I got kind of recruited to go to this six-week summer acting program in New York, Mm -hmm. which from there, that teacher up there told my mom that I should audition for NYU, Mm -hmm. which we had no idea. I didn't even know what Tish was. Honestly, I felt like if I could get into FSU's acting program, that was going to be it. And FSU has a great acting program, but it just all kind of built from there. And then I auditioned for NYU, got into NYU, but all of that kind of started, you know, absolutely with this wonderful format that they give high school thespians in in the, in the structure of the state thespian festival. Mm-hmm. It's just very well organized and really gives kids a, like a, just a, for me, it added a competitiveness to acting, yeah, yeah. which I enjoyed because I played sports. So I was like, oh, wait, I can actually, now I, I'm doing my monologue and I know that all, all these other 20 kids in the room are, are doing their monologue yeah. and then you watch their monologue and you're excited to do yours. And What was your monologue that went that year? I did two and it, they became kind of like famous within my own high school because yeah. this monologue was like my bread and butter, dude. I even used this monologue in, for college. <laughs> right, right. And then even once when I was in college, when we had to do a monologue, I pulled out pulled this one and it was called, uh, it was called About Sally. That was the second monologue I would do. Uh, the first monologue was from Serious Business mm-hmm. with a Z. And this kid's given, he's a coach, and he's given like a halftime speech. His team's down, he's trying to rally him up. And then you you understand that he's giving the speech to a bunch of literally like eight-year-olds, and they're losing <laughs> to a bunch of nuns. Right. And he's just getting so pissed off, and he's telling them to like they need to get dirty against these old nuns <laughs> and like show these birds who's boss and stuff. <laughs> and so that was that one. But then about Sally, which was my bread and butter yeah, yeah which was my go-to about sally was, is a existing it's a production it's you know it wasn't it's funny because the one year i did a monologue that was not it wasn't certified yeah. like the monologue had to be from something yeah. so i think this was maybe from like a one act or something yeah but it's a so the guy starts out and he's talking about his wife was pregnant and he's, he's just talking about how he started having dreams about his his unborn daughter and he was just so you know, excited, and he's talking about the dreams they would have, holding her hand, and and her growing up, and all these things. Having um, you know so much fun, and then he he says that the the daughter was born premature. Mm-hmm. He just, in a way, he kind of blames himself. He just felt like he was so excited to to meet her that she kind of rushed out to meet him, and then she, you know, she dies. She dies in the hospital, and the monologue goes there. I yeah, mean, he wow. actually even in the monologue talks about how he like you know, got to hold her for a couple minutes and, and then the doctors took her and then she, you know, she died in the hospital a couple minutes later. And I remember I was always the, my buddies make funny, but it's like, I was so good at like, I, I would shed one tear. You could do so it. they called what? me like the single tear kid. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And where, so this That's was. That's acting, baby. No, well, <laughs> it's amazing that at that point, before Tish, before any like real formal training, what were you drawing on for that kind of a thing? Yeah, you know, I've never... And then you get to Strasbourg and, you know, a lot of people, a lot of methods teach kind of like a substitution or use something from your personal life to make it more real. You know, I don't do that. I've, I've just always been kind of able to to imagine what it would 
be like. That's, uh -huh. you know, Stanislavski talks about that. He calls it the magic if. Uh -huh. If this happened uh -huh. you know, to you, how would you feel? Uh -huh. I remember doing some interesting stuff without any real trading, just kind of on my own instinct. Like I remember, so if I had this monologue and I knew that I was going to be doing it in a couple days or say we were doing a production, uh, I would be in class. I would be in like science class and I would just kind of in my head go through the the scene just to make sure that I those emotions were coming to mm -hmm. me and it was just my way of keeping my like emotional connection to the material rehearsed mm -hmm. and and kind of harnessed and even to this day I, I honestly I still don't I still don't say lines out loud when I I, I visually map I kind of go through the scene in my head and I'll say it to myself and I visualize what it's going to go through but I, I just kind of walk it through my head and then I'll I'll get to a certain line and yeah I feel I'm, I'm in science class mm -hmm. being like okay yeah that I felt that mm -hmm. you know I could cry I could cry right now you know just not I'm not saying right now but I'm saying right back right, when right, I was in right, class right, I could right, be right. like you know and yeah and that was just at that age where you're like crying is acting right, right. now you know it's I'm more refined I'm like no hold <laughs> right. back hold it's more interesting to watch you not cry right right well so you go off to the Strasburg Theater and Film Institute at NYU this is you know one of the top programs I, I vaguely remember you saying that was Lady Gaga one of your classmates or something? No, she went. No, but she went. Uh, she, she went down. Like, no, she was not yeah. one of my classmates. Okay, all right. So you were there. One thing I, I will quote back to you as saying that oh was that most of the time you were what? How did you occupy most of your time at NYU? Most of my time yes. at NYU, I was high. Yes. <laughs> so do you feel you you kind of got what you needed out of NYU still, or was it really afterwards that that? Happened? Yeah. No, I think it was. I think it was great. Like I didn't. I mean, look, there was a lot of kids at NYU that, that had came from trust funds and had a lot of money. Me and my roommates, we did not. Mm -hmm. We did not get to explore the city in that way. We, Dude, if we had some money, yeah, we bought pot <laughs> and we listened to music. Like, mm -hmm. all my roommates had just really great taste in music. And right. my best friend up in college, he's from Calcutta. And I don't know, we just, uh, we had two TVs. Neither of them were connected to cable. They were just video games we just got high and played soccer video games and listened to like dope music and my roommates are just some really smart guys but yeah i you know so i smoked a lot but i took the classwork i took scene work and my studies when i was at strasburg very seriously and you actually nobody did more scenes than me honestly mm -hmm. like it, there was an opportunity to kind of hang back and the teacher wouldn't say hey scott like you know, you haven't done a scene in a while, right, you know, right. maybe do something. Right. Like no one's going to really tell you to do that stuff. Right. It's college. You just kind of have to want to do it. And I did all that. Like I, I put so much into the classwork. But yeah, in terms of doing a play after school, I was not into no. that. I was not, I was into the training. I was not into the, I, I didn't feel like I had to do a, a production. I felt like I was, I knew I was learning and I had a, an ability to sharpen my skills in class mm -hmm. like I was getting a lot of feedback and I had some great teachers in college mm -hmm. but yeah dude once the bell was <laughs> once the bell rang I was it right I was I was hanging now what happened during your I guess your sophomore year that really was a, a big turning point in your life and could have changed your life well, immensely. I, lost, I lost my virginity Scott, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep late bloomer, late bloomer but late hey bloomer yeah Playing catch up. Yeah, in between my sophomore and junior college, there it was the second year that I'd went to this music festival called Gathering of the Vibes. It was a very again, this plays right in line with what we were just talking about. So yeah. a lot of pond. It's like a very old school. <laughs> right. It wasn't like Coachella, you know, it was like a legitimate you're there, it's like a lot of 40, 50 year olds with their kids right. and it's earthy and it's like Bob Weir and Levon Helm and like right. a, a folk jam band kind of a a festival, but yeah, so I was going up there for the second year, and it was interesting. My mom actually had such a weird feeling about it, because I was going to drive up from Florida to Connecticut with my buddy and go to the festival, and my mom just had such a weird feeling about it that she had my dad drive me all the way up. My dad drove me from Florida to Connecticut, and then my dad got on a flight and flew home. So I go to the festival, my two buddies, and... Right afterwards, stay at my aunt's like spot in South Jersey for like a, a day or two just to kind of decompress and not drive like too too hungover or anything. And yeah, so we're on the road, I-95, and and my buddy drove the first couple hours, switched drivers, my buddy's driving, I'm in the front passenger seat, 
I-95 speed limit's like 75, so we're going, you know, whatever, 80. And he just goes to switch lanes, and there was a car in his blind spot. He jerks the wheel back, overcompensated, and we just lost control going like 80 miles an hour. So went across three lanes of traffic, back across three lanes, went into the grass median, flipped eight times. I, I flew out the window while the the car was rolling, and car stops rolling, and my buddies kind of, you know, come to, and my my best friend in the backseat, you know, is just, he looks and goes, where's Miles? Gets out of the car and just sees me unconscious, covered in blood, 40 feet away from the car, just laying down. For him, you know, he saw me like instantly, you know, just thought I was dead and kind of comes up to me and I like, I start coming to and, and I see him, you know, hey man, what happened? And he's like, we just, we just got in a car accident. I was like, oh shit, I can't, oh man, my mom's gonna be so pissed. I, was, oh, I, I, I wrecked the car. And I tried to sit up and just the look on his face, he said, Miles, don't don't sit up, man. You're, you're hurt uh, really fucking bad. And I just remember looking at him and the look on his face and then putting the pieces together and saying, oh, oh my God, oh my God, I've been ejected from a car. And I couldn't feel my legs at the time. It was like, it was a true, oh shit moment. I thought, I honestly thought I was like paralyzed and I was dealing with all these things uh, at once and blacked out and woke up in a hospital and got lucky dude you know oh emt told me 99.9 percent of the time you get ejected from a car going that rate of speed while it's rolling like literally 99.9 percent of the time you're you know you're dead or paralyzed it Unbelievable. just to come out pretty much unscathed is a miracle so yeah how much did that experience change you and your attitude and, and behavior or anything in the immediate thereafter my understanding is you were you bounced back pretty quickly, but were you a different person than you were before that? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. Like, I first started, yeah, got in a car accident and then went back to Florida. And, you know, you have all of these, this whole side of my body, my left side was just really kind of messed up. So I just had all this this kind of, like, scabbing and wounds and, and all that stuff. But then, you know, the, the scabs kind of start to peel back and you see your face again. And then there's, you notice that certain things just, just aren't healing. And then... You're like, okay, yeah, these are permanent. Yeah, these are these are scars, and and they're on your face. And as an actor, you know that you're gonna need that thing called your face to <laughs> to play these roles. And I guess I I was I didn't really understand that. You know, I I don't know. I just I think I thought that they'd be able to cover it up with, with makeup, and that it would be like, okay, when you saw me on screen, or they could digitalize it out, like you wouldn't see me with scars. And it took a minute before I realized that that was going to be like a permanent part of, of my face. And the scars don't look bad now. Mm-hmm. If anything, they like give me a little bit of an edge, which yeah. as a guy, I'm like, bring it on. Bogart, I could use some, yeah. yeah, they all had yeah, stuff. I could use some edge. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if you look at rabbit hole, the scars are a lot worse. And I had to do a lot of surgery, kind of corrected surgery for this. So I, yeah. But in that immediate aftermath, because the accident's 2007, by 2009, you graduate from NYU. In 2010, yeah. you're in Rabbit Hole. So I guess before we even talk about why it wasn't a impediment for Rabbit Hole, let's just connect the dots where you graduate. And how did Rabbit Hole even come about? Rabbit Hole, it's funny. Like, so I told you, I used to, you know, I smoked a lot of pot. So every Monday night at Stone Street Studios, which after Strasburg, I did two years at the film and television. It was the only mm-hmm. studio at NYU where you could do television, film in front of camera acting. I was like, I'm into that. And so every Monday night they would have managers and agents come that you could audition for. But I never wanted to stay after class. So it, and I'm so stupid. It's like, dude, <laughs> just hang for, you know, a couple, two hours and like, and do this thing. But I was like, ah, I don't want to. And so I actually got really lucky. A, a manager came into one of the classes and I almost left because he had sent an email saying, Hey, pick a scene and pick a monologue and do it. I showed the class. I was like, I didn't get that email. <laughs> He's like, yeah, Miles, yeah, I sent it to you. So I almost left. Thank God I didn't yeah. because I stayed and I just went. I went at the end of the class. I did this monologue, and you did one of your older monologues. No, I did. No? No, yeah, about I did about Sally. Right, crushed it. Right. It's my bread and butter. Right. Baby. No, it was from I love you, Beth Cooper. Okay, was the material that we had, and yeah. so. That's how I got representation and mm-hmm. it pissed everybody off because I never went to the after school thing on Monday <laughs> and without that, then I wouldn't have been able to get the audition for Rabbit Hole. But I actually 
So my senior year, I went on a few auditions. My first one was The Sorcerer's Apprentice, mm-hmm. which I actually got a callback for it. I was hey, like, oh, man, this acting thing might be kind of easy. It's like my first one. <laughs> right. And then, yeah, audition for Rabbit Hole. And I had my first audition. I thought it went like pretty well. Was this with Nicole? Because Nicole Kidman was also a producer. I know eventually yeah. you really impressed her in an audition, but it wasn't the first? No. Okay. First one was just with the casting directors. Okay. And then second one was with John Cameron Mitchell. Yeah. And I remember I took the elevator up and I literally had just seen Hedwig and the Angry Inch came on NYU TV. Mm-hmm. I had just seen that like a week ago. So I was really excited. And I remember I got in the elevator. I get up to the lobby and Juliette Lewis is sitting there. Juliette Lewis auditioned for the part of the part Tammy Blanchard yeah, ended yeah. up playing the sister the part. The sister, yeah. But I remember getting upstairs in the lobby and that was the first time I had been in a room with like a famous actor mm-hmm. and I'm in the same room. And so I remember I like, you know, signed in really cool and like just went and sit down, sat down. I actually told her that the other sister was, is one of my favorite movies and makes me cry at the, at the end of it. But yes, yeah, so I auditioned for John and, and John, that was the first time I really like had a workshop session with a director. I mean, there was three scenes, the three park bench scenes mm-hmm. and we sat in there and John, as he is like such an incredible, sensitive, intuitive director just gave me some really great notes and we just did it for like 45 minutes. And I remember thinking like, it, you know, it went pretty well, but I, I don't, you know, I don't know. And so then I got a call the next day saying, John really liked your, your audition. He's going to give you a call tonight and give you some notes because you're going to have a call back when Cole Kidman, <laughs> I'm still in college. I'm like, Oh my God, right, right. are you serious? This is amazing. <laughs> And can so, I just interject so yeah. people know if they haven't seen Rabbit Hole yet, you're basically, I don't think it's giving anything, any major spoiler to say that you're this young guy who accidentally runs over the four year old kid of Nicole Kidman and Aaron Eckhart. And now you're going to have this interaction with the mother whose child you've killed. And so now you're going into the, this next, I guess you would say callback with yeah. Nicole and John. Yeah, so that that was my understanding of all of it, and 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 it was a you know Pulitzer Prize winning play. David Lindsay Bear wrote it, and it was just wonderful material to work with. But yeah, so I I'm waiting around that night for a phone call that just never came. So now I'm like, oh, that's show business, yeah. kid. <laughs> like not happening, buddy. Right. I don't know why you thought it would be that easy. Right. And the next morning, I was actually shooting a short film with some buddies. In Brooklyn, we're taking lunch, and I get a call, and hey, Miles, it's um, you know, it's so and so here. Uh, I have John Cameron Mitchell here. Um, you know, are you free to talk? I'm like, yeah. So I get out, like, you know, pad and paper, because I think he's gonna give me these notes for the thing with Nicole, and he's like, hey, Miles, hey, hey, John, how's it going? And, and nothing. Um, are you are you sitting down? Yeah, yeah, John. You know, I'm here, ready, ready, you know, for the notes. And he goes, well, I'm just calling you because I wanted to to personally offer you the role of Jason and the producers <laughs> in the background started clapping and he was like I I was so you know you know blown away or whatever it was but I just I know that you're gonna be so great in this and and we started on whatever which was like I think I was graduating in a week and then I was gonna start I was gonna be on set with Nicole Kidman in in like three weeks <laughs> and I just I remember like getting that phone call and then coming out to lunch with all the guys I was shooting the short film with. I was like, yo, I just booked this part in a movie with Nicole Kidman and Aaron Eckhart. Right. And then they're like, all right, lunch is over. You know, <laughs> get back to work. Let's yeah. get back to right. this short film before you get too, too big for too us. Too big, right. Yeah. So what, what was this moment that I had read about where you were with Nicole now and she, I think you blushed or something in a scene with her and she was, that sold her on you? You know, what was that about? I have no idea. I, it was honestly, I think I was like nervous breaking out in hives. And but was she this just a was Hank like, reading or something? No, or yeah. So, we, so I thought that I was going to have a chem read with Nicole. Yeah. But she just saw my audition tape and I guess decided that she didn't need to, to read with any guys. She was like, from my audition, wow. um, said that's, you know, Miles is the guy. And I'm, look, I'm Irish. I'm literally <laughs> mostly Irish. So when I get nervous or I call it like performance energy, but really right. it's, it's, you know, it's just a ball of nerves and right. excitement and anticipation, all those things. I think my face just gets red. Gets red. So <laughs> she thought I was blushing right. and it really was just me showing my Irish Right, roots. right. Now that is a movie that 
is just like heavily emotional. And you said you don't like to draw on your own things, but were you kind of leaned on to do that on this movie? I was, yeah. I remember the you know the one of the park bench scenes, and it's so great. I mean, these two people are sitting on a park bench, and they both need closure. They're looking for closure in this catastrophe from the other person, but they're both sitting on a park bench, and they're both looking out. You know, the whole time they don't even look at each other. They're just just being in the same space and just talking and listening. And I I was not completely getting to this one place, which I know was because. A year before I made this movie, I, you know, I'd lost two of my best friends in car accidents like five weeks from each other, man. And like for my 21st birthday, six of my buddies flew up. Five months later, two of those buddies were dead. It was like two uh, very close friends. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I was like going through the grieving process at mm-hmm. age, you know, t- 22. And, you know, it was, it was just so, you know, weird. And yeah, I remember John Cameron Mitchell at one point during the scene just kind of came up to me and said, you know, I need you to, I need you to think about your buddies. I need you to think about your buddy Bo right now. And I remember I was so pissed off at him mm-hmm. for even fucking saying mm-hmm. that to me. I feel like that was, I feel like he crossed a boundary there, but it needed to go there. Like I, I just took this woman's child away from her and I, you know, I, I had those experiences in my back pocket. I, you know, yeah. hugged the, both my buddy's mom's when it was so fresh and it does, you feel it. It's like something that you, you can't explain, but I did have a uh, experience with it. And, and I think that allowed me to explore that part in a personal and truthful way that, you know, most 21 year old kids had not, you know, would have really no, no idea what that's like, but I actually did have something right. to, to draw on. Right. So the movie comes out, I, th- I think the, even before an LA premiere, I think it was the New York premiere, which is was at the, Paris Theater, and I remember going and seeing the movie and seeing you, and I, I realized, particularly now looking back, but also at the moment, this was the beginning of, of you know, everything that's followed, obviously. It was a beginning of an exciting time, and I just wonder, you had now this decision to make, am I going to stay in New York? Am I going to go to L.A.? What kind of an actor do I want to be? Mm-hmm. What do people, what do they see me as? How can I shape this? What was that time like when you did decide to go to L.A.? And now we're having to kind of figure out your persona. What was what was that period like? Yeah, I mean, well, as far as the move went, that was actually pretty easy. I was I was in New York, on Rabbit Hole. Also, I met my agent that I'm that I'm still with because she represents Aaron Eckhart and John Cameron Mitchell. Her name's Tracy Brennan, and only agent I ever had. She was based in L.A. at CAA, but my manager was just like, "Look, I I'm moving to L.A. <laughs> you can stay in New York." I'll still be able to send you out on auditions, but I, you know, I, I'm leaving. Yeah. So I was like, cool. I'm, 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 I'm there. You know, yeah. I, I grew up in Florida. I love sunshine. That's enough for me. The yeah. weather's great. Cool. And so I moved out there and honestly breaking into the business or, you know, whatever for my first thing for people to see me into being something like rabbit hole, that was a beautiful script that, you know, the way John shot it, we would do four pages at a time with incredible actors. I'm working with a woman who's going to get nominated for an Academy Award for it. Just like class all the way around. Like that was uh, that was always kind of how I in a dream scenario, that would be the first thing I'd want people to see me. And I always wanted people to understand, like, look, I'm, I'm serious about acting. Yeah. I'm, I'm a trained actor. I love I love, you know, the craft of it. I'm, 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 I want to explore this thing. But then there's also a part of me who, look, I love super bad. I wanted to be in, I liked comedy. I did a lot of comedy stuff. And I got some comparisons in, you know, high school and college, like Vince Vaughn. Mm -hmm. And I, I liked his, his kind of thing. So I was like, I did did this rabbit hole thing. Now I want to, you know, whatever. The next year, actually, I shot the remake of Footloose and Project X. And I'd always wanted to work with Todd Phillips. And next year I did 21 and over. And I kind of, I got to do that, like those Every actor's gonna have on their resume, I think, and it's it's like those just beer drinking, right. bosom buddies, like, <laughs> right, right, you know, kind of things. But it showed some variety of what you could do. Yeah, and I, I just honestly, I my favorite actors can do comedy and drama, and for me, both are you know both are interesting and right. and exciting. So I, I I do remember being very conscious of of wanting to 
keep a foot in, in both worlds because I think my agent and I are both very conscious of that. And you've continued to, right? Yeah. I mean, this year, people can look at the variety of the movies that have come out, but that next big one, I think, even though the movie wasn't big, but the one that, again, maybe reminded people that they should pay close attention was when you're playing this tortured teen alcoholic in The Spectacular Now. Yeah. You... And Shailene obviously had some great chemistry. You you guys, I think, both ended up getting special jury prize at Sundance, which yeah. they don't give to actors all the time. I think after that, I, there were suddenly these John Cusack comparisons I kept reading. Yeah, I got a lot yeah. of... Yeah, I've got... Yeah, yeah. Right? Cusack, yeah, exactly. And yeah, I know you and Shailene would again do with a Divergent the next year, but what's, what was your experience, I guess, on those two with her and just for your own experience, two totally different scale scales of movies, right? Yeah. Do you have a good time doing those? I love Spectacular Now, and it's funny with that. Like I, I auditioned for that movie twice for the same director, two different times, and neither one of those auditions convinced him that I could play the part right. of Sutter. Because I, dude, I straight up bomb. I don't bomb auditions, but <laughs> I got done that first audition. I was like, that was terrible, <laughs> and. It just really upset me because I I knew this guy. I grew up in a small town in Florida where we started drinking at age 12. Mm -hmm. Like I had a lot of things in common with Sutter Keeley, except I had ambition and drive and great parents. A lot of Sutter's things didn't have parents. We auditioned for it twice, didn't get it. James Ponzel came on, didn't make me audition. He just met me at a bar. said, let's just talk, offer me the part. I love you, James. That's Thank the way you to so do much. it. Yeah. Just meet yeah. me at a bar. I don't yeah. make me say the words right. and just trust me that I can do it. But... But yeah, that I that movie the same way I look at Bleed for this as a certain kind of pivot mm-hmm. for me, uh, or kind of a important kind of a, a transition. Mm-hmm. You know, for Spectacular Now, that was right after Get a Job. Get a Job was my first lead that I ever had, and that movie was with Brian Cranston and Anna Kendrick. And I just remember honestly, kind of feeling like I, I don't know, I I, I felt very like nervous and I kind of felt a little overwhelmed, but I just remember feeling like, why am I the lead in this? When you got Brian Cranston, Anna Kendrick there, and the character's more of kind of like the straight guy, but I don't know, I just remember feeling like I, you know, if you're going to be the lead in a movie, you should really kind of own that, and when I did Spectacular Now, I called that my like lead actor boot camp. Mm-hmm. That's when I was just really, you know, I'm in every scene of yeah. that movie, and I felt like a, a real sense of kind of that I just really had to like lead, I don't know, like lead this thing, take charge of it, really take ownership that you're the lead in this movie and own it. Yeah. And that was a wonderful, wonderful experience. James Ponzo, I'm still trying to work with him. Yeah. yeah, He makes movies that I just, I think he is in town also. Yeah. I saw him. uh, He's not here tonight. He he left yesterday, but James is like just an incredible filmmaker. And then you got something like divergent divergent. They, they had actually seen Spectacular Now, and they liked me and Shailene's chemistry, and they thought, okay, what would it be like if Miles was this antagonist to to Shailene? And they said, look, the guy you're playing in this movie, he's uh, he's considered like the the toughest one of these initiates, and you'd so I knew I could like bulk up and do something physical, and then yeah, I never worked on a, a movie that size, and, yeah. and this was the time where, you know, you had like. You know, the Hunger Games, yeah. and it, it, it seemed like, yeah, if we could be a part of me and Shay and uh, Jai and, and Zoe uh, with Kate Winslet, if we could be a part of like a big kind of successful franchise, I felt like that would have been, I felt like that would have been necessary. I felt like that would have helped me get to where I wanted to go a little right. quicker if I could have that kind of global awareness or just you know just being a part of it if you can be a part of a big successful franchise and it's a character that you right. can have fun with like to me that that checked all the boxes but it is still i i would guess a slightly different maybe broadness of acting than it is with other movies that you do and i think that even when you were doing it i i understand that there was some kind of hunger to get back to grittier stuff and so when you first hear about this movie whiplash being written and directed by a guy who's like roughly your contemporary which is can't be that common and it's about a guy who or or the role is a guy who maybe shares some of your ambition did you immediately say like this is a part that i've got to play well so the year before divergent i had done i did four films i did get a job spectacular now two night stand that awkward moment 
and that awkward moment ended in January. And then I started Divergent, which was the longest shoot I'd ever done, 75 days, you know, four months. That started in March. So I'd basically done five movies. I was working on my fifth movie in a little over a year. And I was just kind of burnt out. Uh, and I read Whiplash. And I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was pretty incredible. But look, I mean, for people that have seen the movie, like it's a, it's almost exhausting to watch. Right, like right. you're getting put through the ringer every day. And I just, I was like, I don't know if I, the last thing I would want to do is give like a, a kind of lackadaisical or half-hearted performance for a character that would require so much. You know, I just felt like people would see that because to play the part of Andrew Neiman, you need to be so committed to drums you yeah, know what i mean yeah. and wanting to be great and so i actually i told my agent i was like i don't you know i don't know i'm like i'm like man it's yeah it's really good but you know we didn't know who damien was and there's a risk there obviously yeah. and yeah so i actually was kind of on the fence about it and then i read it and then i so i said i don't know just give me like a week because damien wrote the part with me in mind damien saw rabbit hole and wrote the movie with me in mind wow. which was fortunate for me yeah so he actually gave me first crack at it and then i read the script again and i was just like i right, yeah suck it up yeah you don't want somebody else to play this part right. this is a dope part you right. don't get a lot of like parts with a lot of stakes as a, when you're playing a teenager it yeah. doesn't happen no so obviously you you learned your you i guess you'd done a little bit of drumming before but you really got up on that movie turns out tremendously grand jury and audience awards at Sundance several Oscars you realized during the making of it that it was very special or only afterwards no not really I mean I I have a very clear memory of like doing the the first scene we shot was when we're at the the kitchen table and and my those two kids are kind of giving me some crap and and I'm like I'd rather die alone and broken alone and people know who I am than live to be 80 and nobody know right, what I did right. and and I remember Damien would doing the, you know, set the camera up, and he would just say, "Okay, I just need, uh, I just need these, you know, four lines. You just guys are gonna just do these four lines." And uh, we, you know, do them, and we do like maybe two, three takes. Like, all right, got it, moving on. Yeah. I remember thinking, all right, either like this guy is is has it all in his head, is right. really good, or he's just inexperienced <laughs> because this isn't. I you know even at that point, right. I had done, you know, at least I'm sure I'd done at least like probably around ten films, right. you know, and I feel like I'd kind of been on set and I was like, I don't know if he knows what he's doing. Right. But no, you know, you don't, it doesn't really feel any different. You can tell when a movie's not working. Yeah, yeah. You can feel that because usually you're trying to fix the writing. But with Whiplash, that script was airtight. Yeah. We didn't have to do anything. But no, I didn't know that. Look, when I was on it, I wasn't like, this is a best picture nominated yeah, film. Yeah, right. When I'm working with JK, I'm not like, this guy's going to win the Oscar, guys. <laughs> like, it just, you don't, there's so many things that need to happen when you make an independent film for it to, who knows, man, I might never have another Best Picture nominated film. I'm going to, we'll you know, see. I have no, you know, I have no idea, but it's, when that stuff happens, it's great because like I said, you know, these festivals, it gives the film like a new life right. and, and JK is still, I mean, me and JK are always going to have have that uh you know experience together and watching him knowing the fact that like we went to work every day and we're in those scenes and we're just right there for each other yeah watching him go on stage and win that oscar i felt like yeah it took two i felt like i won it no yeah. no not even in that way but i was just so you know happy for him and just knowing jk's trajectory or how he's you know he didn't do his first movie till age 40 and for right. him to get this oscar at 60 and then see him hosting snl and stuff it's great like yeah it's just really a wonderful moment these days, it seems like the, the most popular thing at the movies are superheroes, for better or worse. And, you know, as you've said, you've kind of sampled all the different genres over, you know, comedy, drama, everything. You were a part of this movie, The Fantastic Four. You got to be in this comic book universe. And I've read some things that you've said about it where it's like, again, similar to Whiplash, where you don't know if it's working. I'm sure that in the middle of a movie that maybe isn't as embraced afterwards, you don't, you're not working any differently. You're still, everybody's doing their, their best. And I just wonder, you work harder on, on movies that don't turn out. That well. don't. Yeah. It's just, cause I, so I just wonder, you know, like it, it's, it was this sort of, was it in any way a learning experience, a growing experience or, or something that you can take away positively from the, from the, I mean, you had a, I know that the respect between 
the actors on that it was and remains tremendous. I've talked to Michael B about you and others, and it just so what was what's the takeaway from that? I mean, look, I you know for us it was you had you know the X Men first class thing had kind of started going, but those are those are younger actors and still mixing in with all these kind of established characters in the X-Men world. And then you got the Avengers and they're all older. It's like, dude, here you are with your, your peers and you're all 26 years old and you're the leads of a really like, like nice franchise, you know, Fantastic Four has so much history to it. And, you know, it's like they picked me to be, you know, one on the call sheet of a $150 million movie. Like that was a, yeah, I took that, that as a great, responsibility and i'm proud of i'm proud of the way that me mike kate and jamie carried ourselves honestly from the beginning of that process to the the very end and you know all you can take away from something is is yeah you know your work ethic and you know hopefully your your commitment to the project and and we maintained that with that being said i i know i you know i'm i know actors that have won major awards and they told me that look the script was not was not airtight and we had to like work that thing pretty much every day we had to like figure out how to make that stuff work and then people see the movie and they don't and the movie's good and they win friggin right you know award for the movie so i guess you know did we have an airtight script beforehand no i mean was the idea that it was gonna get better absolutely you know and that was I'm proud of the way that I handled myself in that movie. Yeah. Uh, if I if I felt like I was being offended or if I didn't understand something, like I needed to to understand it. So I'm I'm proud of when I when yeah. I spoke up. So during the Whiplash era at the New York Film Festival, I remember there was a there was a dinner or something, and I saw you. and You said I'm working on this boxing movie. This is like more than two years ago. So yeah. this ended up being Bleed for this. You're playing Vinny Pazienza, and this is for. Ben Younger, who people know from Boiler Room, but I think he's only done one other movie in between. Yeah. So, first of all, I guess... He's the Daniel Day-Lewis. The Daniel Day-Lewis of directors, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, how did this come about, and why was... It's taken a long time, but it, is it a post-production? I guess, leave it at that. We're, tell Take it through that. Yeah, in terms of when it, you know, was going to come out and all those things, uh, that's... Look, if I had that kind of foresight, I'd, I'd be in that side of the business, right, you right. know? But... You know, timing is, is, is everything, you know, and that's something that really intelligent people put a lot of time into mm-hmm. thinking about. So so you kind of let them do their thing. Obviously, me, I'm like, put it out. Put, put it out, out. Yeah. I want Because it was such a leap for me. Yeah, I go from, like, whiplash, this little kid who's getting, like, smacked in the face to, okay, yeah, you're Vinny Pazienza, you're a five-time world champion boxer, you're a badass, you're yeah. a warrior, you're, like, the man. So I got this script, and I was like, this part is badass. Whoever gets to play this dude is going to get to, like, really learn a lot about himself, and he's really going to have to push himself. And those are all challenges that I kind of, like, I look forward to. If you have to do all these things to play a character, then you're lucky. Like, a lot of people just show up on set and, and kind of use their everyday skill set to, like, perform this part, and, th- and that's fine. It's entertaining. But I read the script, and I thought, this is going to be a great part for somebody else. And I met Ben... And I honestly didn't think Ben was like looking at me to play this guy. Uh, this was like pre-Whiplash. The thing I had just come out was like Awkward Moment, which I'm not, you don't look at me in that movie and you're like, that's, that dude's a bad, like a, yeah, right. a, a Italian-American boxer. But yeah, I met with Ben and, and honestly I owe so much to Ben. It, you know, I didn't meet a casting director for it. it. It was Ben who said, Miles is my guy. And I guess maybe he saw the raw materials in front of him, but it look, it took every hour of those eight months for me to be able to, to get myself to a place where, where I could physically perform the part. Right. But yeah, it was very, I, I just wanted, I, I was like, look, I, I can keep get I can keep playing these parts of kind of younger guys. Uh, but at some point you have to just take it upon yourself to say, I'm going to, I'm going to transition here. And so it was very fulfilling. And bizarrely, as you mentioned this morning, this is the fifth movie in which you've, played a character who has a goes through a car accident of some sort right i mean isn't this bizarre that especially having had that in your own life so Vinny was on the set some of the time and and now he's here in savannah with you it's got to be especially after that lull since the making of the movie is it kind of just like you know tonight you're gonna screen the movie he's gonna be here 
it's got to be like reconnecting with an old friend or something to have such an amount of time go by and here you are and just have you guys had a, a relation special bond kind of developed through telling his his very difficult story yeah we i mean yeah we have and i think Vinny and i will always you know have that connection but for sure man when you're when you're playing somebody and especially for me you know playing a guy who did live the life that Vinny did and a guy who broke his neck and everybody was telling him look this isn't gonna happen man this door is done what you're trying to do is impossible and it's never gonna happen and so him just with that sense of self and that kind of drive to just make the impossible possible and do something that's never been done when you're doing the research you're gonna idolize this guy and I and I did 1000% and so then to do it and then to make a movie about him that he's so proud of mm -hmm. and for him to see his life like they don't make movies about your life when you're still alive it just doesn't happen no. you know Vinny's only 54 years old although he'll tell you he's 44 <laughs> and you know it just it just means the everything for him to watch that movie and just be so proud of it and feel like we did we did it justice well the last question is just that this is as you say kind of a turning point in your career first sort of not coming of age, but having come of age, adult, real I'm role. I'm fathers now. Man. Yeah, you're on your way. Life happens fast. Right, right. But, I mean, I think just for people to take stock, and, and correct me if any of this is wrong as this final question, but I read you got $5,000 for Rabbit Hole, $7,000 for Spectacular Now, $8,000 for Whiplash. You're not doing these, Some these are some of your, maybe three of your best roles prior to Bleed for this. You're not doing it for the money. You're doing great work. And at this point, as you now enter this new phase and, and look towards the future, where do you hope to go from here? What's the, what are the big goals in terms of a part or a direction that things go? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there, there's a lot of different, I don't even know what story I'm gonna read that's, that I'm gonna connect to, but I know that I, there's just certain, I have a lot of empathy and I'm very curious. And for me, those are the two driving characteristics that keep me really kind of like, you know, engaged and, and uh, excited to to get into somebody's skin. I just played a soldier, a guy coming back from his third deployment during the surge in Iraq, and that's called Thank You For Your Service, and that's about real guys, and to me that's probably the most important story I'll ever tell because you're, you're really, you're putting something on a screen in front of millions of people that is kind of swept under the rug in terms of uh, veterans and what they're dealing with, and more people are going to see this movie than are going to sit and talk to vets about their issues. Like you're going to see what these guys are dealing with. And then I, you know, played the firefighter in this movie, blue collar, just kind of working class guys that have, you know, it's the first time wildland firefighters been put on screen. That's important. So I, I, I hope to keep doing projects like that. But what's nice, what's just really fun is that as I keep going along, I just keep, you get an opportunity to work with some really incredible actors and, I, w I just hope to maintain that because to me it's not an isolate. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. Like my best work is going to come from the inspiration I'm getting from this other actor, and so I want to keep doing that and just work with like the best directors. I love the collaboration of it all. So you know, I'm just excited to see see what happens. All right. Well, thank you so cool. much. Really Thanks, appreciate, Scott, appreciate it. it. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.